today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The Chiefs Town Hall, Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gert is joining us, and uh, we will take your phone calls, 905-645-3221. That's the local number, 905-645-3221. Star 9900 is a toll-free number for you. You can also reach us on email, bkelly at 900chml.com. And on Twitter, at CHML Bill Kelly, your questions, your comments for Hamilton Chief of Police, Eric Gert, who joins us now on the Bill Kelly Show. Uh, Chief, thanks so much for the time. Uh, I hope you're well today. I am, and we're physically distanced by miles, so that ought to meet the requirements. Uh, yeah, I think we've uh, we've covered that. We can, we can check that box right now. But a lot of people are working from home. Uh, but uh, frontline workers are not working from home. Um, I mean, Hamilton Police Services are still in full gear. Uh, and that's the first question I wanted to ask you. With the the crisis now moving into, I guess it's about the fifth or sixth week here in this area, uh, Chief. Uh, let's talk about the impact this has had on police services and on the staffing levels and and the the officers themselves. So our staffing levels are good actually right now. We've only had one member present with mild symptoms uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, obviously, our members are using their personal protective equipment. And from a service perspective, we moved to what's called the North Half Mask Respirator. It's got the dual cones on front, and it's a neoprene mask. Uh, we issued that about 10 years ago as a result of toxic things like car fires, sudden deaths, where we may have to don the equipment. And, you know, back then it probably would have been a little uh, disconcerting for members of the public to see it, but certainly not now. So our advantage in that is it meets the requirements uh, of what an N95 mask will do. So they both do the same thing, but we can use the equipment for a number of months before the cones have to be replaced. Of course, you've got to disinfect it and all those other things. We've issued uh, goggles as well, and in certain cases, we'll just uh, don other protective equipment. Uh, really, from a response perspective, uh, where we might go into calls before, and it's really just a medical call that EMS can handle, and, you know, certainly our hat's off to both the EMS fire for all the medical calls they've done through the years as first responders. Uh, but they've been dealing with things, anything from TB to SARS to so on and so on. So, uh, and I don't, you know, discount uh, how they're affected, but certainly they've been alive to the issue for much longer. Uh, but we do have equipment. Uh, we are responding. Our, our calls for service, um, while some have decreased, others have not. And the range of calls over the weekend was really something. So uh, our members continue to respond. And in terms of deployment, we've taken people who might be doing like divisional youth officer calls or school liaison. Obviously, we're not with the schools shut responding to those directly. Uh, we'll still youth calls. Uh, but those officers have been redeployed in the front line, particularly in light of businesses uh, that might be closed up. So we've increased our patrols, whether through our action unit or otherwise, to look after security. Uh, we're doing an education campaign, as you know, with regard to a collection of people above the five. It used to be 50. And the social distancing or the physical distancing is largely being handled by bylaw enforcement. And uh, so we continue to all the regular calls for service. Uh, we are doing alternate response for our lower priority calls, where an officer will call on the line and speak to the people. And certainly we're getting pretty good response from the public understanding why that is. And uh, we're seeing some gains in that area, taking calls uh, off the board, as we call it, for service. Uh, but our front line is still responding to all the things uh, that they did previously. I'm quite it, proud of their efforts and what they're doing. Personal protective equipment that you talked about, Chief, is, is the wearing of that mandatory? Uh, it depends on the call for service, and obviously physical distancing is the starting point, and we look to the presentation of sy symptoms. 
We take our lead, as you know, from public health uh, at kind of three levels. Obviously, Dr. Tam at the federal level and Dr. Williams at the provincial level and Dr. Um, <coughs> Richardson at the local level. Uh, they're pretty much congruent on what to do. But as soon as we get somebody who does present with symptoms, we have a whole protocol for transport, getting them treated, whether we keep them in custody or not, depending on the circumstances. And where we don't need to keep people in custody, we won't. We've had recent amendments through the criminal code that allow our officers, being our officer in charge of the station, to release on a promise to appear with additional conditions. So the timing for that legislative change was good for us. And where we can release, we certainly will, but we're certainly uh, you know, cognizant of public safety issues. We don't just release everybody. And uh, you'll have seen probably an article in The Spectator uh, today uh, by Susan Claremont with Justice Leach talking mm -hmm. about changes in the courthouse, which we've been a part of in moving towards in any event, video conferencing, those type of things, for a number of years. And we've done e-disclosure, electronic disclosure. Uh, we implemented that a couple of years back. So really we're seeing the fruits of that um, labor pay off now in terms of being able to keep people out of the courtrooms, not having to transport where we don't need to. And, of course, you've got all that... Uh, potential exposure when you're doing the physical contact. So uh, really seeing the fruits of that uh, labor payoff. As I said to the board previously, you know, that's the stuff that's really not that exciting um, from an administrative perspective, but it's certainly, I won't know if I use the term exciting, but it's certainly uh, fulfilling to see those things happen now that allow us to uh, safeguard both the members of the public and ourselves. A couple of things about that. The reason I asked about the uh, the equipment and, and whether or not it was mandatory is I got an email, I guess it was a week or so ago, from a listener uh, that said she saw one of the officers, uh, I guess it was a traffic stop, uh, and wasn't sure whether or not the officer had gloves on, but certainly had no mask on, was leaning right inside the car. I don't know if it, looking at the driver's license or whatever the case might be, uh, which really uh, was obviously a violation of physical distancing. And but I, I'm just wondering if this is uh, something that they've been schooled on. I mean, obviously this is a, a very fluid situation right now, but are officers told that if they're going to have any contact at all that they must have those masks on? No, we haven't moved to that, and certainly in policing we haven't moved to that across the province at this point. And as I say, we rely on uh, a number of the under indicators first, uh, and our officers have discretion. Uh, again, to wear a half-mask respirator for an entire 12-hour shift is really not practical. And, uh, you know, as recently as we saw um, a, a video put together by the OPP and a doctor who is on their staff who actually works in um, the emergency where they have COVID people, um, who have uh, have the symptoms, you know, obviously there's concerns about that. Uh, but, no, we rely on a number of things and their own judgment at this point, but there's nothing as an edict that's come that says you must wear it 24-7. Uh, but common sense would dictate, though, I understand that, and you wouldn't ask an officer to wear that for a whole shift. But if they're going to have a face-to-face -face contact with somebody, that you'd think that obviously they'd be taking all precautions. And, and I think that was the concern that this listener had, is that it didn't seem to be uh, that officer was taking the precautions. If you're going to have, a, have your face you know, six inches away from somebody else, you don't know whether or not they're symptomatic. So, uh, But anyway, it's, it's, it's something that jumped out at her. I just thought, well, you know, just, is the chief aware of this? It's interesting to know. So you're, you're suggesting it's a judgment call then? Well, it remains so on a number of fronts is, uh, you know, uh, and again, on a traffic stop alone, just from a safety perspective, generally speaking, you would stand, I don't, I'd certainly stick my head inside a car as a general practice, never mind COVID, but anytime officer safety. And you can speak to somebody at a distance back from the car and still be able to hear them. 
As for documents, that's a different thing when they're produced. And as I understand, for the most part, provided somebody shows it to you, we don't necessarily have to take physical possession of that as well. But, you know, uh, we do have uh, interaction with members of the public. There is a small percentage right now that are affected. Um, you know, should that change, uh, then we will certainly adapt relative to what public health indicates we should handle the calls for service. Uh, but, you know, in all instances, we're not at this point wearing it 24-7. Chief, what about changes in protocol because of this? We obviously we mentioned the thing about physical distancing, and, and uh, there's a concern here about contact and and being in environments where the, you know the virus might be present. Uh, is is that changing the way that uh, that uh, that officers are going to do their jobs? Uh, as you say, when they go out on a call, uh, just as a for instance, and I know it's an apples and oranges comparison, but you know people in the service industry, cable TV guys or whatever, they will not go into your house during this this crisis. Uh, they just you know. You, We'll work outside, but not inside the house. I, obviously, officers, if there's something going on, are going to have to do that. But are they trying to minimize their contact with people at this stage? The short answer is yes. And everything from our dispatchers making inquiries about anybody who may be presenting with symptoms, um, we get that information ahead of time. There's been a recent change uh, with the Ministry of Health that we'll be able to access a portal uh, for those people who have been um, diagnosed with the COVID who may be recovering at home. Uh, but of course, that information is, uh, and pro- right, or properly so, uh, safeguarded in terms of distribution and use. So it's just specifically for uh, the health of our members. Uh, relative to physical distancing, they practice that. You know, when you've got to go and lay hands on somebody and it's an arrest and it may be an urgent situation, either domestic or whatever, because our calls for service really haven't changed. Um, then, you know, we're going to have to do what we need to do. And uh, again, for uh, we're working with public health to see if we can get um, diagnosis like anybody else for our own members, should they've been exposed to people either say they have COVID or may present with those symptoms. You know, right up into including the administ- administering of Narcan, uh, you know, for an overdose, uh, we will take precautions uh, and don the mask, obviously, you know, seconds mean mm-hmm. everything. Um, but we have continued to administer those, and during this pan- pandemic crisis in the last couple of weeks, we still continue to administer Narcan. But again, we look to public health, uh, what is the best practice. This is, again, research that's not just happening in lo- local jurisdiction, but really across Canada and worldwide for that matter. Um, so, yes, we take precautions relative to arrests and transports of persons, as I've said. Um, if, in fact, we have to retain custody, we have had cells designated for that purpose. We've increased the cleaning uh, and uh, disinfecting of all those stations, physical distancing within our building. We don't have the parades with multiple members that we used to have. Uh, Most of the conferences I'm doing with my senior command are much like you and I are doing. Uh, We're all kind of sitting in our offices doing a teleconference, but as an essential service, uh, we still have to be out there doing the work and uh, obviously uh, liaising with the Emergency Operations Center uh, Paul Johnson is a director currently, um, and Dr. Richardson as well. And, of course, I've been on uh, the Cable 14 with the town hall answering some of those questions. But this is, in fact, a public health emergency, and that's why we're taking our lead from them. But we still have to do business. You mentioned uh, you had a high volume of calls on the weekend, and, and you, some calls, of course, uh, some of the, the the character of the calls, I guess, are, are, have decreased. Others stayed the same. Uh was it a higher than usual volume of calls that you got this weekend? And, and if so, what were they all about? 
I wouldn't say so, but I mean, where we're seeing some growth is uh, on our uh, calls to our coast hotline. Uh, our actual coast and mobile crisis rapid response team calls remain pretty much as they have through the months. Uh, but we do know there's increased stress for people. We do know that, um, and I mean, the analogy I use, it's kind of like great to go up to the cottage in summer or even winter sometimes, but now we're kind of at the cottage in winter. You don't have a car. It's snowed in and you can't go out, and we all know what cabin fever is. So, um, you know, where people can get out and walk in those areas that they can, certainly recommend that. Um, you know, I'm not relying on common media, but most of the um, psychiatrists who wait in or healthcare providers have said, you know, limit yourself to, you know, maybe two days or two times a day, maybe half hour each to get up to date on what's happening with COVID. But kind of, you know, 12 hour steady diet of it's not really a good idea uh, because you're watching in a full minute by minute. So we know that stress is up. We know that nature of calls uh, into coast have come as a result of that. And really, you know, you're seeing a world shift in a paradigm uh, where things we, and we're certainly social animals, um, you know, we want to connect with people. We have an inherent a need to, and that's being stifled right now, and that leads to increased stress. So we're seeing the results of that. I saw an article the other day, not per- pertinent to Hamilton Police Services, but I guess it was a national story on one of the wire services about an increase in domestic violence in situations like this where people are forced to be with each other for long periods of time. Are you noticing that? Uh, we have tracked it quite closely. And in fact, last week it was down. Um, you know, the reporting of it, we know from uh, the literature certainly that uh, victims uh, may be exposed numerous times before they actually disclose. We do also know that they have to be in a safe place quite often to do that. It's far more hazardous uh, from their perspective when they phone the police in the midst of. Not that we don't recommend it, we do. And I think if you've, I've seen some spots relative to uh, the service providers beyond us saying they've seen an increased uh, uptake and phone calls and all that type of thing. So, I mean, the key message for us, if it is a uh, violent act in progress, we certainly still respond. Uh, we think it's important to do that. Uh, but we do know, I think, on the horizon, uh, depending on the duration of this, where you have um, increased stress, uh, the cir- cycle of violence uh, as people are under stress uh, will precipitate it more often. Uh, so we're certainly concerned about that with people who feel they cannot get out of the house. But that doesn't mean you can't go for a walk, make a telephone call to us discreetly. Uh, I do know that you know the controlling nature of uh, many aggressors will be that they will not allow the victims to have phone or individual time. So, uh, you know, even contact to a friend to let us know or even reaching out to the, the shelters or otherwise, all still would recommend those practices. But we're certainly keeping a very close eye on it. Uh, lots to talk about here on the program today uh, with uh, Hamilton Chief of Police, Eric Gert. I'm getting a number of uh, requests here and questions about enforcement of some of the restrictions that are being put in place. We're going to cover that. Uh, some traffic issues that we want to get to. And uh, your phone calls, 905-645-3221, star 9900. You can get us on email, as many people already have, bkelly at 900chml.com, and on Twitter at chmlbillkelly. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A couple of uh, things I wanted to pass on that we got uh, during the uh, the news break, Chief. Uh, one is, a, I guess, a tip, a, a reliable source uh, telling this they want to remain anonymous here. The teenagers in Andrew Warburton Park are congregating most nights, uh, taking down the tape and blocking and blocking the playground equipment and, and horsing around on the playground equipment. Apparently, this is an ongoing problem. I don't know if they've contacted City Hall about this or not. Is that a policing issue or a bylaw issue? Yeah, primarily it's a bylaw issue first, and, of course, you can phone into the city uh, for that number. Uh, but I will certainly let the East End know about Andrew Warburton Park. Um, yeah, it's still a, a problem if they're gathering beyond five and it's playground, they're shut. So it's all a violation of the uh, EMCPA. Let's talk a little bit about enforcement. There's a story that I'm sure you saw that uh, created quite a few, well, there have been a few of them around the country, but uh, one just in this area, but somebody who was uh, rollerblading, I guess, in a parking lot, uh, of an area that was supposed to be closed, I guess it was a, one of the parks in the parking lot beside it, uh, and got an $800 ticket. And, and I, I'm sure you've seen some of the response here. You know, this is way overboard. Now, I, I, I don't know if that was a bylaw officer or police. From what you're telling me, uh, the enforcement of some of these restrictions that have been put in place, especially at the municipal level, whether it's parks, conservation lands, etc., that falls to bylaw, not to police. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. They're the first uh, responder to that. Uh, because uh, they have taken that task on them and allowed to do that legislatively, and we're relying on that. Our focus is on uh, education first. Uh, enforcement is a last resort, but we have some people who are resistant and saying, no, I, I get to go where I want, and we know with the emergency declared that's not the case. Uh, what we're seeing, and we issued zero, by the way, over the weekend. I'm not sure what bylaw has done. You'd have to talk to them about that. Um, so well, I, I think, think it's a little more part, than that. A little more than that. I'm yeah, sure nice weather like this. I heard. Yeah, we've heard some stuff about waterfall areas and, and other places where people are ignoring the the tape and the barriers and things of this nature, which is causing an awful lot of frustration. But 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 that's essentially bylaw. Then it's not police services. Would you be involved in or be called in one of these situations at all? Uh, where there's overflow and bylaw can't handle it, then we'll help them out. But primarily, first, it's it's bylaw that does the enforcement for that. Okay, so if somebody has a concern, do not call 911, by the way. If you see more than two or three people there, I call the city and the bylaw officers, I guess, will attend in circumstances Correct. like that. Uh, yeah, and I'll give you the number for that. It's 546-CITY or 546-2489, 546-2489. This may well be also a city issue, but uh, they've, they've asked me to comment on this and get your response to this as well. Uh, why are the school zone caution lights still flashing off and on around schools now, since we haven't been to school? Uh, and I, I guess the, the listener's concern here is they do turn them off in the summertime when school's out. Uh, why are they still on now, even though the school is not in, in, in session? Yeah, again, it is city that controls those uh, signs and signals. We do not. Uh, so that's something that would have to be taken up with the city. And whether they're uh, able to disconnect them, I don't know how that works, so couldn't really comment on it. Okay, well, we'll uh, pass that on to the city staff and see if somebody from bylaw or uh, public works or whoever guess is in charge of that. All right, let's go to some phone calls. 905-645-3221, start 9900. And uh, Frank, you're first up with uh, the chief. Good morning, Frank. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Bill. And yourself, uh, uh, chief. Uh, by the way, what do you think of this Kelly guy here? He's he's so astute. I, I think he's sitting up in, uh, overnight and making notes. He's not, He hasn't missed a beat yet doing this. <laughs> 
and you know, and everybody else is you know freezing and 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 scared, and he's not even affected, or is he? Did, is he? Did he leave? <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I got to give it to you. Uh, claim uh, to uh, Bill, but uh, Chief, I want to ask you now that we're in a state of, uh, I'd say, desperation, if you will, and as that the economy gets tight. And, of course, what surfaces in my mind is the element of crime. And now you go out at night, it's so quiet, there's hardly anybody around. Um, somebody said to me that uh, the, the police could be just freeloading right now. But let's leave that one alone. The propensity of crime, Chief, as, as the, uh, we close up, people are all concealed. All the businesses, that not so much the ones in the malls, but the uh, units in, in downtown Hamilton and around town, which are full of merchandise, Doors are locked. Nobody's there. How do you position yourself and your team to uh, be proactive, if, uh, if I may, not that anything is, is starting to happen, on such an issue as things get tighter and tighter as the days go on? I'll leave you be, guys, okay? I want to hear what you got to say about this, okay? Thanks for the call, Frank. Okay, thanks, Frank. I'll address a couple of things right off the top there. Um, First of all, there's no freeloading going on. Our members are still active and engaged. We've made a number of arrests, both for break and enters in progress, drug arrests, gun offenses. Um, so, you know, on behalf of the uh, front line, I would certainly take exception to that comment. Uh, there's nobody freeloading in here. And in fact, because they're exposing themselves uh, because of the essential nature of their services, uh, it would make that uh, comment even more insulting. Uh, they still have people to worry about at home uh, themselves. Uh, so, no, they're not freeloading. They're out doing their job and continue to do all kinds of enforcement relative to uh, the businesses, and I spoke about it right at the outset. Uh, we moved a number of our units, particularly Action and our frontline and other personnel who were available to be responsive to the empty businesses that are there. And, in fact, in some of the cases, I mentioned this at the COVID update in Cable 14, we've had business owners who are monitoring their premises remotely through video, uh, give us a call if something is happening, and we've made a number of arrests relative to that. Uh, you know, uh, what I'd say from the general public is um, they are abiding by it in large part. This has contributed to your comment about reduced numbers on the streets. Uh, those who are up to more nefarious activities tend to stand out a little more. Our members, and we've had the complaints about them stopping people, well, they're continuing to do that, continuing to investigate. And one of the big things we've been continuing to do is traffic enforcement. Uh, speeding, whether people think the roads are open because they're less populated to maximum speeds, uh, they are not. And in fact, over the weekend, we issued a number of tickets for racing, which is 50 kilometers over the limit in a variety of locations, uh, including Nikola Tesla Boulevard, uh, the Claremont, and throughout the city. Uh, I have had a number of uh, contacts from counselors talking about the speeding continuing, and we have, in fact, not only um, maintained enforcement, we've increased enforcement in this area. Uh, so we're certainly alive to the issues, whether it's criminal activity, whether it's speeding, uh, and any other kind of activity, whether it's guns, drugs, or otherwise. As you know, the nature of our business tends to continue in most environments, and we continue to do that enforcement and are out there in full force doing that. 
I wanted to bring that up, and I'm glad you did, Chief, about uh, the uh, the fact that there seem to be fewer vehicles on the road, and some people seem to think that gives them license to be able to put their foot to the the metal and go as fast as they want whenever they want. Uh, you know the neighborhood I live in, and I've talked to you about this numerous times, of course, and uh, it seems to be a speedway the last week or so, and I've, I have seen your officers out there uh, with enforcement. And you talked about, uh, you know, one of your primary uh, duties, of course, in, especially at this time, is education. A lot of people know about this. Uh, you're, you're a little less tolerant when it comes to people that are speeding in situations like that. I know that uh, that was something that, that you were doing for many, many years, and we just, uh, well, you, our good friend Klaus Wagner just retired a little while ago, who did that for so many years and was great to come on the radio and talk about this uh but essentially is, is the policy when it comes to speeding and reckless driving which i i think when you're going you know 80 kilometers an hour in a 30 zone that's reckless driving as far as i'm concerned is it zero tolerance well certainly in those cases of extreme yes and they've increased the penalties as you know uh the racing yes. uh, fine is quite uh, high your vehicle is towed from the scene and retained for three days um, you know, if the, the, I think the intent from the legislators is for those who are going to duck themselves and we're going to make it inconvenient for them and up until including if you get convicted of racing, the points on your license, which accumulate, as you know, and before you know it, your license is suspended and you can't drive around. Um, let's just talk about behavioral change. So think about back to the early 1970s where the seatbelt enforcement came in place and we still occasionally hand out tickets for that. And how many years are we talking now? Relative to the Emergency Management and uh, Civil Protection Act, uh, what we're seeing is in the course of a few weeks, we're largely gaining compliance. Relative to your question about do I need to educate on speeding, uh, those uh, statutes have been around for years. Uh, we're certainly past that. And we also know whether the roads are congested or not, uh, that your incidence of an accident certainly increases with speed as does the rate for personal injury and or death. So uh, Klaus, I think, would still be telling you to slow down, uh, put your seatbelt on, uh, do not race, do not speed, do not do distracted driving, all the regular stuff. And we continue also to do enforcement for impaired driving, whether by drugs or alcohol. So I guess under periods of stress, people, uh, either with addictions or otherwise, are still consuming, and uh, it's not the time to get out of your house and go out in the road and drive that way. Um, largely stay at home, as I've said, and if you want to walk your neighborhoods, that's one thing. Uh, but to get in the car and place everybody else at risk, even if it is less people out in the road, uh, it still can be a uh, life you're taking as a result of that. So we will continue to do um, education on the AMCPA, uh, but certainly for the other fences, uh, I think we're well past that. Well, it's a, it's a different world, and it's not business as usual in so many different facets now because of uh, COVID-19, Chief, but uh, it's business as usual for some of your departments. I, I Just looking over some of the news here this morning, I, the other day, actually, another major drug bust, uh, which Hamilton Police Services were involved in. Those are usually, as you've told us in the past, uh, the culmination of an awful lot of work uh, that goes into this, uh, sometimes with multiple police services involved. Correct, and as you know, stated, we continue to do that enforcement uh, certainly for the drug industry right now, I just talked about addictions. There's still a market for it. We have, in fact, uh, also been a little creative and uh, laid charges not only for the drug trafficking, but also conducting business when they shouldn't be under the EMCPA. I'm sure that will be tested in the courts, but that's fine. Um, but, yeah, we continue to do that enforcement. Uh, the scourge on our society, whether it's from fentanyl or otherwise, we're still seeing overdoses. We're still seeing uh, the negative consequences of that 
drug distribution. So, no, we're not letting up on the gas on that and not certainly taking a holiday from anything in regard to that. With the Chief's Town Hall, Hamilton Chief of Police, Eric Gerders here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Doug, you're next for the Chief. Welcome to the program, Doug. Thanks. Chief Kurt, I just want to take a moment, sir, to congratulate you. Uh, all the best. I hope you're healthy. I hope all your officers stay healthy and keep up the great job that you're doing protecting everybody in Hamilton. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate that, and certainly our front line appreciates those kind of sentiments. And, uh, you know... We've been doing shout-outs to the doctors and nurses on the front line, and uh, we certainly appreciate that sentiment from the public. Thanks very much, Doug. The job can be arduous at the the best of times or the worst of times, I guess, Chief. I, I mean, each and every day, and we've talked about this without trying to be melodramatic, that uh, any officer that goes out on call or on duty doesn't know what they're going to face, what's on the other side of the door, or what kind of calls they're going to get. Uh, so there's there's inherent stress in the job itself, and that's why it's so remarkable that, that the, your officers do such a wonderful job all the time. But but how do you handle something like this, where you know that uh, this is this is kind of an invisible enemy? I mean, it's a virus. You don't know where it is. You don't know who's carrying it in situations like this. Uh, is it causing added stress to to personnel in situations like this, uh, as to how this is going to go? You mentioned you've had one confirmed case uh, so far. Hopefully, that's the only one. But uh, there's almost an inevitability that when you're on the front line and exposed to it, uh, that there's going to be an increased risk? Uh, no, we certainly recognize that. And again, you know, uh, our members worry for their own families too, um, and they worry for their friends uh, and their co-workers. Uh, but it's the nature of the business we do. Uh, we have provided some in-house messaging both around mental health, mindfulness. Uh, Dr. Pil, uh, Til, Bill Thibault, who's worked with us for years, on a variety of issues, and particularly with our um, EAP program. Uh, we put a message together through him. Our chaplains have weighed in uh, with messages uh, to our frontline personnel, and that's uh, our, our uh, Imam Tahar, uh, our Rabbi Green, uh, our two um, ministers as well, um, Father Mahini uh, and Bill uh, Tur- uh, Sorry. Uh, and it's funny because Bill always reminds me of his name, and here I can't remember his last name. Uh, he'll be getting me for that later. Uh, but anyway, uh, they've sent the message out to our front line as well. Very important. And we know uh, not just mindfulness, but spirituality. We know over the Easter weekend this was tough for people because of how important that is. So our members are no different. And, uh, you know, we continue with that in terms of the support, the EP outreach, our own uh, resources in-house. And uh, I know both deputies, and particularly Deputy Bergen, who's in charge of operations, has been out doing calls with the front line. I've been out to the divisions as well just to see how they're doing. And i got to tell you, very impressed with uh, the morale, very impressed with their focus on duty. And, uh, you know, I guess we're used to working in a variety of emergencies. Uh, you know, my own experience we've had, and it sounds a little dramatic, but we've had tornadoes, we've had floods, we've had uh, the August blackout. Uh, we've been through a number of these events, and our, and our people work during these events in spite of the effects on their own family. So certainly kudos to our officers and all the front line, uh, who I've previously mentioned, nurses, doctors, EMS, fire, who continue to do this work. Uh, so, you know, personal service workers, all that stuff. Uh, they continue to do the job because they know it needs to be done. 
Chief, when we talked about some of the other frontline workers and some of the other first responders, we understand that aside from the emotional, and I don't mean to downplay that because it's so big, uh, there are budget concerns about these sorts of situations. Uh, and, and obviously you budget something for the whole year. I don't know that anybody, if I can remember back during the budget discussions, which wasn't that long ago here in Hamilton, uh, I don't think anybody brought up, well, the impact that COVID-19 might have. Uh, are you concerned about the, about that? That I, And I know the first you know, priority here is to make sure everybody's safe and to get through this, and then we'll look at the numbers later on. But is, is it something you've got an eye on? Oh, definitely. And, and since inception, uh, you know, the city I've talked about has been working on the incident management system, our response to emergencies. Uh, we implemented that about 10 years ago uh, through the work of my predecessor, Chief DeCare, and also Dr. Richardson. So we've practiced that both real and, um, you know, exercises through the years. We're using that system. Uh, so the EOC, Emergency Operations Center, is up and running, and we're part of that. But we're also running what we call a Police Emergency Operations Center as well. And one of the big pieces of the IMS is tracking finances. Um, so we've been tracking... Uh, certainly from the policing, uh, contact, what finances have been extraordinary. And we've had, um, you know, promises from the government as well to cover the cost of that. Largely the costs have involved personal protective equipment, and that's whether it's for a front line or a special constables, anybody who has contact. That's been where the bulk of the money has been spent to date. Uh, so we are tracking that, and we will continue to track that. You know, as, as the government you know, all three levels have been providing funding for these things. Well, we certainly have the receipts and all the rest to make those submissions, uh, hopefully from a city perspective, to reduce the cost for the local taxpayers. And it's Reverend Thornton, by the way. My, my apologies. There you go. <laughs> okay, you're, you're, off, you're off the hook for now. Uh, well, my are you satisfied? Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable that you have enough uh, in the way of personal uh, protective equipment for your officers? Well, one of our advantages, as I said, is we have the half-mass respirators for our front line. Some occasions the surgical mask will suffice, or the N95. I do know, and we were on a conference call with the Premier uh, about two weeks ago, all the chiefs across the province, and that was certainly number one on our list, is making sure we had an adequate supply of uh, PPE. And I think you're seeing it uh, from the government's response at the provincial level. Uh, the Premier has been focused on that. Obviously, for healthcare providers who are dealing with it, you know, daily with people who do have exposures, take priority. Uh, where we can use alternate methods, we will and we have. Uh, but at some point in time, we may use uh, the N95 masks as well. Uh, I certainly think they're focused on it, and we're seeing contributions from China, uh, so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm comfortable that all the things that need to be done are being done, but it's a worldwide demand right now. So, uh, certainly, I don't have an answer for that, but I know kind of. Uh, the focus here, at least uh, provincially and municipally, is on the access to PPE for our people. Exactly. Uh, Chief Erger, Chief, please, uh, thank you so much for the time. Please pass on our gratitude uh, to your officers uh, for the great job they're doing in this uh, very, very difficult situation. We really do appreciate it. Thanks very much, Bill, and I uh, appreciate having the time today on your show. Hamilton Chief of Police, Eric Gert. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.